Hello and welcome to First Flight, a Star Trek Enterprise rewatch podcast where we are watching and discussing each episode of Enterprise in succession. First Flight is a proud member of the Tricorder Transmissions Network. This is Commander Tucker of Enterprise. We've got some information you're going to want to hear. Welcome, Enterprise fans. I am your co-host, Melanie. And I'm your co-host, Abby. And tonight we are discussing Silent Enemy, the 11th episode of Season 1. This episode was written by Andre Bormanis and directed by Winrick Colby. And my apologies if I pronounced either name incorrectly. It aired on January 16th, 2002. But before we begin our discussion, we need to issue a read alert. Tactical alert. All hands to stations. There are potential spoilers ahead. We might end up talking about any part of the series at any time. And now for a summary of the episode, it's time for Abby's Captain's Log. Okay, Abby, let's go. Captain's Star Log Supplemental. All right, Silent Enemy. Enterprise is attacked multiple times by a mysterious alien starship, and Archer struggles with defending the ship. In addition, Hoshi is ordered to find out more about Malcolm for a birthday dinner. It's time to deploy our subspace amplifiers and get into this episode. All right, Abby, I'm curious to hear your thoughts about Silent Enemy. All right, well, I'm going to start with... The fact that I like that both the A-plot and the B-plot in this episode are a good mystery. And that's kind of nice to see those two on parallel tracks like that. Because I know sometimes this episode gets criticism for being very jarring in the different plots. But I like that the thread of mystery kind of weaves its way through everything. And as everybody knows, I like a good cold open. And I think that the mysterious cold open... It was a good way to uh, have the mystery start off in this episode. Yeah, I liked the mystery component a lot also. And I really liked the concept of this episode of this unknown enemy where you don't know what their motives are. I thought it painted a really good picture of how deeply dangerous going out into space is. It showed that you can run into hostility at any moment, that the NX-01 is really in a tough situation, there could be danger lurking. And I thought that they did a good job showing that with this kind of foreboding and ominous feeling. Yeah. And I appreciate that at first they're trying to almost make a positive spin on these aliens. They're saying, well, maybe they don't understand, or maybe this isn't their cultural norms, or maybe this is how they do it. And they're really trying to put that positive spin on a first contact situation. And then when they come back and they're just kind of, you know, sitting there staring at him silently before the first attack, Archer's really trying. But you get again to where he can kind of weaponize his politeness and he's reached the end of his rope and he's kind of frustrated with these guys. And he's like, well, either talk to us or don't, but, you know, do this again sometime. And he's trying really hard. But at the same time, I, I love when he gets a little frustrated and keeps it professional yet aggravated. That's an archer that I completely understand. 
Oh, for sure. And I did notice at the beginning when they first encounter the ship and he asks to Paul, does she recognize it? And she says, no, he has this quick little look of kind of glee and eagerness (laughs) because you can tell that he's excited to meet someone new. So he goes through a real different range of emotions throughout this whole thing where he's excited and eager, then he's frustrated then he's angry. So there's just so many different approaches that he took with talking to them. Like you said, with like, it's been great talking to you. You know, you're the ones that dropped in on us. So I did notice that. Well, I like how excited they are to meet new life all the time. And even when things are kind of going south, they're still trying to salvage it. They're still trying to figure things out. And when it's obvious that that's not going to happen, that's when they start stepping up mm-hmm. and really coming to some some new conclusions and new ideas. But this whole episode has our crew coming together to work and solve problems in ways that nobody expected they'd ever have to. I mean, they're installing things on the ship that it, they even say would take Jupiter Station two weeks, and they're doing it in two days. So this is a nice way of showing how all of our crew is working together, no matter how the situation changes. And that's that's just good to see about halfway through this season. Yeah, I appreciate the teamwork very much also. When Archer speaks to Tripp and Malcolm about, okay, get started, but we're still heading back. And then you can tell that Tripp and Malcolm really want to get it done for him. And as soon as the conversation's over, they run to their prospective areas. One of them goes up a ladder. One of them goes over to a panel. They are ready to start working their butts off. And I really liked that also. Well, and I think you can even see that in the scene between Archer and Trip when he's working. Ar- Trip is working and Archer's just kind of following around Archer and Porthos. We can't forget about our favorite four-legged furry friend. <laughs> but uh, they're they're talking about what's going on and they're talking back about, you know, not being able to have a long distance relationship in space, but the entire time Trip is working. And that scene is so beautiful because that is their relationship, but that's also Trip. Like Trip isn't going to stop working just because something's going on or he's having an emotional day or any of that. He's continuing to work. And the back and forth with them about how is he okay with Natalie and Archer asks Trip about, you know, you okay? in a way that you can only ask a real, true, deep, long friend who you've been through some stuff with. And Trip understands what he's asking and appreciates and accepts that, that ask, but tells him, you know, no, it's fine, I'm, I'm, I'm good and all that. In between that and then the little joking about if they uh, want to change the color on the upgrade of the component, I mean, that's just a great relationship to see. And I like how they built this friendship up and they didn't spend time showing us it developing. We came into this established friendship and that's a really neat thing to see on a starship because that hasn't always happened this early on in a series. Yeah, I completely agree, Abby. I loved that scene. And first of all, starting out with, I really liked Porthos walking around the (laughs) ship because not only was it adorable and he got to stretch his legs, which we don't see that often. Yeah. But it was, it was natural. Archer was walking around and decided to take Porthos. I liked the natural feeling of that. It was really cool. And I agree. They are definitely showing their friendship here. And when Archer takes the time to say to Trip, are you okay? 
The way he delivers that line, are you okay? Is perfect. Yeah, it's beautifully acted. It's so real. Yes. And I love how much Archer cares about his friends and his people. So I agree that was a great scene and seeing Trip working throughout the whole thing, definitely. I do have a question about that scene, though. Why is Archer the only one who's in his casual clothes? Because I, I know Trip is pulling double shifts. I know Malcolm's pulling double shifts. But when they get back up to the bridge, all the rest of the normal first shift people are still up there, like, hanging out, doing what they need to do in uniform. And, I mean, he's the captain. If he wants to change into a T-shirt and, you know, some comfortable pants, by all means, he should. But it just... It was an interesting thing to see. It was a contrast between him and everybody else around him again. But while I have to say the, the subtleness of the costuming on Enterprise is incredible. And I love that it's something that you could imagine somebody not in the too distant future wearing because it's close enough to casual wear now, but different enough that it's taken those few steps of evolution. So Bravo to the costumers who don't always have a ton to do when everybody's just wearing their uniforms. Yeah, bravo. I had the exact same thought you did. I watched this one about three different times. And for the record, the more I watch this one, the more I enjoy it. I got more out of it every time. But I had the same thought. I was wondering why he was wearing that shirt. Maybe he was having some special captain downtime where they said, hey, take 15 minutes, go watch some water polo or something. We're cool. <laughs> it's hard to know, but that did cross my mind as well. I had a few thoughts about the alien business here at the beginning of the episode. I wanted to say that the scan that they did was so visceral and so well acted and shot that I could actually feel the pain of that scan. Yes. I thought that was well done. And also we get yet another great to Paul quote in this episode when she says, and I may be paraphrasing here, not every species has motives that can be understood on human terms. I just love when to Paul spouts these moments of wisdom because that was a really good point. It's interesting when you get things like that from her and Flox as our, you know, onboard ship aliens, because they really do have a different perspective. And you forget sometimes because they feel so much like part of the family and part of the crew and like they've always been there, but they are different in a way that is not human. And to bring that perspective back around that, hey, we understand you and we get you, but we still sometimes go, oh, you humans, these people might know nothing about humans and they might be completely different than you. And they're just trying to say hi the way they know how. So I love when T'Pol brings that perspective in because it's very sobering and she always knows exactly the right time that he needs to have some perspective. Absolutely. And regarding these aliens, I have many thoughts on this. First of all, I think the alien ship design is beautiful. Their ship, their shuttle. Yes. The shape of it, the coloring of it, the way it was designed was really cool. And the aliens themselves, just like we talked about with the Zerillians and maybe even more so, they are different looking. They're not your typical humanoid aliens. Yeah. Yes, they're bipeds, but I thought they were so interesting looking with their eyes and you, you just didn't know what they were about. Yeah, I, while I don't think the CGI of these aliens 
holds up 20 years later. I remember watching it at the time and going, wow, this is really cool. And also appreciating what you pointed out, that they were not like the normal aliens that we see. It's not just a you know piece of nose glued on or some ears or you know some dots, mm-hmm. which I totally understand the logistics on the production side about why that was. But I like that Enterprise was trying some of those things and pushing the, the CGI so that they could have some interesting aliens going on in there that were very different. And while I, I wish that these aliens were a little bit more seamless these days, I do like that they remind me when I watch them walk in that scene in the corridor, their gait, their strange bipedal gait with the swinging arms reminded me a lot of the Kelpians from Discovery. So that was an interesting connection. And, you know, I don't know if it was intentional when Doug Jones made that walk or not, but it was it was neat to see. And maybe these are more distant cousins from Kaminar. Oh, wow. I didn't think of that. Now that you mention it, I can really see the Kelpian resemblance. Really cool. Yeah. And, you know, one of the other things I liked about these aliens is that when you were talking about their ship design and all of that, I liked how everything you saw about these aliens, their ship designs, their weaponry, their probes, their little sensor, and seeing Archer in the sensor later with their language all around the side, it all seemed really very different and alien, but very consistent within that. Like you believed that ship belonged to that alien, which belonged to that scanner, which belonged to that language. They all seemed very fluid. And for an alien that we never even get to know the name of and have yet to have seen reappear again in any way, that's a lot of world building and a lot of continuity for what, 15, 20 minutes of screen time? So bravo. Yeah, that's a good point. I agree. And I see what you mean about the CGI. I don't think it bothers me as much. I kind of like the old school looks. (laughs) And the other thing I liked about that scene was even though there's this huge crisis going on and they're being boarded, and I would still like to know how they opened that launch bay to get in and that T'Pol couldn't close it. So they obviously have some seriously advanced technology here. But during that crisis, the first thing Archer does is tend to his wounded people. And then, you know, flocks get down here. And then you can totally see the frustration in Archer's face when somebody reports to him that, you know, they're venting plasma and the the nacelle's been damaged. It looks like he almost throws his communicator because he's so frustrated. One of the things I enjoy about Archer is that he is not as controlled and buttoned up and constantly diplomatic as some of our other captains. We see that real true human nature of being frustrated because this is a frustrating situation. And I mean, I was thinking about those two officers that got wounded. They got the, you know, their neural energies disrupted, which Bravo flocks. This is twice in what three episodes that he's fixed people's disrupted neural energies. So keep him around. But here's my question. Was one of those deep scanned officers that went catatonic Novakovich from strange new world. Cause he doesn't talk, but it really looks like him when he's on the bio bed. And if it is this poor guy, I mean, he is the red shirt of enterprise. He gets twigs merged with him in a beam. He's got catatonic from a scan. Like he should just stop asking for missions. Oh, 
Poor Novakovich. You know, now that you mention it, Abby, I can see the resemblance. I don't know. We'll have to look it up. But that's a really good question. (laughs) One more thing I noticed in this scene that I know that some of our uh, people who've been following us and listening from the start will probably also notice that this is one of those times with the obvious loud footfalls when our wonderful crew is walking down the hall and they find the flashlights just left on the floor and there's creepy lighting and they see the aliens. You hear every single step they take. So you're not sneaking up on anybody. That's for sure. But the aliens are quiet. So they must have some sort of different way to walk or different types of feet, or maybe they're just not wearing the right kind of boots. But it made me smile and think of uh, all the people out there who are now going to notice these footsteps every time because they've been listening to us. Well, you know, I'm one of those people because you taught me about that. So I definitely need to look out for that next time I watch this. <laughs> you know, there's another relationship I wanted to highlight, which is the Trip and Malcolm relationship. Yes. They have a scene that I love where they're talking about technical stuff and Malcolm's trying to bypass this and do the EPS that and really trying to work so hard to get this done and get the cannons installed as we talked about. Everyone's working so hard, trying to make Archer proud, get it done. And Tripp is realizing that he's doing some shortcuts and is not happy with what Malcolm's doing. And Tripp has to pull rank in that moment. And they go from having this conversation to this other type of conversation where rank is used. And Tripp is saying, well, you know, Lieutenant, I think the Chief engineer needs to figure that out. And Malcolm's saying, you know, okay, commander. And they slip into this more formalized speak with respect, big respect on both sides. And then later it softens again when Tripp says, well, you know, the chief engineer approves of your acceptable risk or whatever the exact words are. I thought that was a really interesting dynamic. Yeah, this is a really interesting relationship in general over the course of the show. And I think. We'll be coming up to Shuttle Pod 1 in a few episodes, which really focuses only on them for most of the episode. And this is like crumbs of that. You can see that they they are friendly, that they're they're peers, but that there is rank in there when there needs to be. But that level of respect is already there. But so is the frustration with each other because they work so differently and they think so differently and they react so differently. But they both, I think, appreciate that the other one does that because they know it's not their strong suit. And you can see that coming into play here, which is really nice. Yes. I wanted to talk about a couple other nuances in this episode that I enjoyed. One of them was, we've talked before about these little nuances, these little choices the actors and the writers and the directors make. And at one point, Malcolm is telling Archer that we're no match for their weapons. We're kind of in deep trouble here and our torpedoes are having no effect. And as he's telling Archer that, Travis has this quick little cutaway look of, oh, damn, (laughs) this is scary. Like we're in serious trouble here. And Travis has this quick little scared look that I just loved and appreciated because I think that's how we all would be feeling. And he's voicing that for everyone. And poor Travis, you just want to kind of give him a hug in that moment. So uh, that was an interesting nuance, I thought. And also, just one little TOS callback.
I really liked when Tripp said something like, I can't sleep until I can feel those warp vibrations. <laughs> and of course, it reminded me of Scotty, who has said similar things like needing to feel his ship and know that it's okay and feeling the deck plating and knowing every sound that it makes. And I love that analogy between Trip and Scotty and their beloved engines. So I appreciated that. Yeah, I didn't notice the Travis look, but I absolutely will be looking for it specifically on my next watch through. And I also like when they put these kind of little parallels to the original series because they're just like little chef kisses on the episode. And it shows you that they were thinking back to the history of Star Trek when making this, even in the little details, not just in the bigger, you know, canon issues. And I appreciate that. Very much so. Before we get to the, the Malcolm birthday story, I wanted to talk a little bit about this weapons test in the end of the episode with the weapons experience and also the Launch Bay 2 scene. First of all, this weapons test scene I thought was really great. It was a great effect. And I love when Archer says, I just wanted to take a little off the top. And, you know, I saw you blow something up the size of Mount McKinley, (laughs) he says later. So great writing, Andre, who has written many great Star Trek episodes. And I was thinking at the end, maybe they should overload their cannons more often. Like maybe that should be the default setting because it works so much better. (laughs) That's very true. And I, maybe this is what's going to spur them on to the, uh, the improved weapons that they get later on in the series. It's, you know, the germination of an idea right here. Absolutely. You know, Abby, I think one of my favorite parts of this episode was when they entered Launch Bay 2 to explore the anomaly that T'Pol discovered. Mm -hmm. I love the suspenseful music, the tension when they walk in and when they figure out what's happening with, you know, being under surveillance. So when Archer speaks to the aliens through that monitor on the panel and they have that kind of creepy effect, Mm -hmm. it was so atmospheric. They really nailed the tone of it kind of feeling disconcerting and sinister with that message in and then later, I'm sorry, with the message out and then later with the message back in. It kind of gave me this vibe of like a psychological thriller slash horror movie. Yeah. The more I watched the episode, the more I loved that scene. Well, and one of the things I appreciate from that scene is the choice of the camera angles with the sensor and the message, because he's not talking to the sensor. When Archer is talking, he's talking to the panel, like he's broadcasting this communique, but you can see the sensor behind him. And then when he turns and he tells them, you know, we're not going to put up with this anymore, and he turns and he shoots the sensor. You see him shooting the sensor and you see it blow up before everything fuzzes. And that's all different angles. I mean, he could have very well have just been talking in the sensor and done a back and forth. But the fact that you could see it at the same time that you saw him speaking really added. It, it was almost made you disoriented until you saw him blow it up at the end. And that added to that feeling. Ooh, well said, Abby. You just described everything I was feeling so well. Yeah, that was a really neat effect, that whole thing combined. Super creepy and great. 
And it just shows at the end of all this, it's our whole crew working together again. It's everybody doing their piece and pulling their weight and figuring it out and making it happen. And then they don't have to go back to Earth. And they're so happy. Like, I'm sure everybody wants to hug their moms and, you know, see their girlfriends and, you know, pet the dog. But they signed up on this mission for a reason. And they don't want to go back. And they didn't have to because they pulled together as a crew. And that's beautiful. Most definitely. So let's move ourselves over to the other big part of this episode where we are trying to figure out what we know about Mr. Malcolm Reed and what he likes, especially to eat. Mm -hmm. Now, while I have to say, if it was me and we were in this weird situation with an alien, I would have kept Hoshi on the amplifiers and the language translation and all that. I really do appreciate that Archer is trying really hard to make somebody under his command feel really special and appreciated for a day. I might not have gone about it the same way, but uh, I, I like the sentiment behind it. He had nothing but wonderful intentions. And you see Malcolm's family, you see his sister, you see his parents, and it explains a lot about Malcolm. And the fact that he is more buttoned up and reserved and all that is so often thrown against him as a negative. But I have to say, I've rewatched Enterprise dozens of times, and Malcolm's always been fine for me. I never really liked him or disliked him outside of certain plots in certain episodes. Um, but this rewatch, where I really am going through and thinking about things more and, and dissecting more and thinking about bigger connections, I have really come to have a deeper appreciation for Malcolm and what he's doing and how he represents a different type of officer. And I mean, the man is nothing if not dedicated. He's dedicated to his ship. He's dedicated to his job. He's dedicated to his team. And I appreciate that. And I enjoy how we said in this episode and previously on like breaking the ice, he can start to let his guard down and be a little friendly. But the second that the situation calls for him to be doing his job, he is right back there on it, focused and ready to go. And I felt so bad when he blew up too much with the overload because Malcolm really does know how to shoot. And it, we don't see that nearly often enough. Yeah, I'm with you, Abby. Upon rewatching Enterprise for this podcast, I have also felt a huge deep appreciation for Malcolm more and more over time. I'm a big Malcolm Reed fan. And I, I hear what you're saying. Seeing Malcolm's parents really was very eye-opening. It gave us a pretty good glimpse into the Reed family dynamic. And when Hoshi spoke with the sister, I felt a little bad when the sister said, may I speak with him? And so she was like, we want to keep this a surprise. I felt a little bad because how often do you have this opportunity to speak right. by video like that, which is probably not that very often? So I felt a little bad for her, but I agree with you. Malcolm is such a great character. And I have to say, I love to see when his personality shines through the dedication and all of that, when he has those little moments where we get a little bit more of Malcolm. And at the end, when they gave him that cake, yes, there was this look on his face that was so beautiful and warm. It melted my heart. You could see how touched he was in that quick few seconds. And when he's cutting the cake, he looks, you know, all eager. And 
I really appreciated that. As far as this B story is concerned, I'm with you. There is a little bit of a conflicting tone here. And I think you used the word jarring. I agree. We have the one side of the story that's incredibly serious. They're under attack. There's life or death stakes here. And then we have the other story that's very lighthearted and somewhat comical. And like you said, we have Hoshi down in sickbay talking about Malcolm's favorite food while we're being under attack by aliens and boarded and our ship is being boarded and we kind of need her back on comms. So I see what you're saying. There is a little bit difference of a tone. And one thing I noticed that I wanted to talk about was I also really appreciate Archer's efforts to do something nice for Malcolm. He cares so much about people. He has the best of intentions. I am a huge Jonathan Archer fan. There was something interesting in this story, though, that I noticed, which was there were several instances where he was under good intentions, divulging confidences to people about other people that at first I had a few bit concerns about, such as when he says to Hoshi, you know, his parents don't even know he's an armory officer. He hasn't called home since he's left Earth. And when he says in front of Malcolm to trip, well, now you can say goodbye to Natalie face to face. I know Archer's under a lot of stress and he, again, has the best of intentions, but I was a little bit surprised that he was divulging confidences like that to other people. But after I rewatched it a few times and thought about it some more, I came to realize that they are so cut off from Earth and they are on their own as a family caring about each other. I kind of got where Archer was coming from. He wanted to run that by somebody like we really don't know Malcolm that well. And I kind of saw it from a different perspective. But at first, it struck me as as a little bit concerning, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. One of the things that I think about this episode is that while I find a lot of good in it, I do feel like the characterization is off here and there for some people. And it's just that Archer's one of them. The fact that he would take Hoshi off and make this side mission her primary mission and just some of the little asides and stuff. Not that I don't appreciate a frustrated Archer. We just spoke about that. But I do feel like it was it just didn't feel 100% accurate to what we have seen of him thus far. Mm. But I also want to say, if we're talking about things that just kind of... uh, make you wonder. I wonder if they saved Flax a piece of cake because he is the one who solved this mystery about pineapple and Malcolm and all that. And he wasn't there. And I really wish that he would have been because I, I would have liked to have seen that and seen him especially eat the pineapple cake because we know that man loves some food and he loves the experience of eating. And I mean, how often are you going to have a pineapple cake? So, and I would have liked to have seen Travis come down there too. And even to Paul, like had all of our, our main crew, they all knew about the mission. So it would have been nice to invite them to the actual cake. That's a good point. That would have, that would have been nice to see them all together. I agree. I guess then we can put Delta shift on. (laughs) A couple other nuances I liked with the cake was when to Paul said to Hoshi, If you have a question for Malcolm Reed, why don't you just ask him? (laughs) Yes. I loved that moment. Perfect. Yeah, that was cool. I loved when Hoshi brought the cake in that silver case. Yes. And said, I have a component. That was neat. 
And, you know, the scene with Malcolm's parents, were, I just want to go back to that for a moment. I know they were a little bit alarmed. They weren't sure why Archer was calling. So mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe um, next time we'll do a little cover letter or something. I really liked the way that was written and acted, the way the dad was saying, you know, safe travels, Captain. And what is my son doing on your ship? And the way the mom was talking, you could see Malcolm in his parents. And I liked that. I liked that a lot. Yeah, I think that they were the same tonally and they looked like they could be his parents. His sister looked like she could be his sister, too. So bravo to the casting people who for very, very small parts in an episode, really did a great job of making them look like they could actually be blood family. For sure. Well, we can hear that dog barking, so that means we've arrived at Porthos's pick, which is our favorite part of the episode. Abby, what's your favorite part? Well, what I really appreciated uh, after multiple rewatches of this is that Trip, Malcolm, and Archer look gradually more worn out and ragged over the course of the episode. I mean, even to having stubble, because they obviously hadn't stopped to shave, and looking more rumpled. And it was never glaringly obvious, but by the end, you were like, man, they really do look like they've had a couple days. They deserve that late start sleeping in morning that they asked for at the end. And I, I appreciated that because it added a nice touch of realism. Yeah, that's a good observation. I need to pay more attention to that closer next time. I love that they take the time to do things like that, to make it look that way. And I think it's even referred to in the script as well when mm-hmm. one of them says to the other one, you're not looking so good or something like yep, that. Yeah, exactly. I don't remember the exact line, but yep, another reason why we love Enterprise. And what about you, Melanie? What was your favorite part this week? My favorite part is the scene with Archer and Trip together when Archer is unloading his conscience about leaving Space Dock too early. This is a beautiful scene. First of all, Archer looks around engineering to make sure no one's listening. He does this quick little scan with his eyes and then he gets close to Trip. And you can tell once again, like you mentioned earlier in the podcast about the friendship between these two, you can see it right here again. Archer needs to get this off his chest. He feels guilty and he's being very reflective and accountable and says, you know, I left too early because I had something to prove. And like we said, people make mistakes. Archer makes mistakes. We love them for that. We don't criticize them for that. But I like that he's acknowledging that. I thought that was a really interesting scene. And when Trip backs him up, it's just so heartwarming tripped completely is there for his friend and backs him up and says this amazing quote which i have to repeat because i'm a huge mercury gemini apollo space nerd (laughs) when he says in the old days astronauts rode rockets with millions of liters of hydrogen burning under their seats do you think they said gee i'd like to go to the moon someday but do you think it's a little risky again paraphrasing I love that quote because it's awesome <laughs> and true. And I love that he's backing up Archer, helping him feel better and saying, you know, we're behind you. We all wanted to get out there too. In retrospect, Abby, you know, hindsight, it's easy for me to say this, but after they 
finished the mission with Clang, they it would have been helpful for them to go back to Earth and get fully loaded. Sure would have. That would have probably been a good move before Deep Space, but I am glad that they have the know-how and the expertise to actually install and build those cannons from scratch. So that was super cool. So that whole scene was my favorite part. Yeah, that scene is is beautiful. And like I have been saying for episodes, I enjoy the fact that we are seeing the Enterprise crew do the things that later lead to policies and rules that we know of the Federation. And you know, he, this is a lot of reflection from Archer's part. And I really appreciate that because he hasn't had all the training and all of the handbooks and all that. He's the best he can be, but he also is realizing he has a lot to learn and that he's not infallible. Right. And that's a that's a really big, heavy thing. So thank goodness he has tripped there because T'Pol can definitely bring him into focus and bring other perspective, but so can Trip. And he trusts him implicitly. And when he says all that about, we all know what we signed on for and nobody blames you. We were ready to go. We would have all said yes too. How do you not feel just that deep caring and energy you get from being with someone who understands you? So a perfect scene and a really nice little spot for their friendship. Yes, absolutely. And I just wanted to add one more thing that I just thought of as much as I would love to them to be fully loaded after the playing experience, then we wouldn't have gotten the we can't be afraid of the wind. Starfleet thinks we're ready to launch right now. And I wouldn't trade that scene for anything in the world. So I'm all for it. And I have to say, it's probably the humanness of Archer that you just described is what bonds me to him so strongly emotionally. Maybe that's what it is because I love Archer. Well said. Accessing library computer data. Okay, it's time to share some trivia. Abby, what do you have for us about Silent Enemy? Well, this is one of the ones that I really enjoyed because I like how sci-fi as a genre seems to take care of its own people and they cross lines into other shows because Silent Enemy was scored by Velton Ray Bunch, who was a new composer to the Trek franchise, but had previously done a lot of work for Quantum Leap, which Scott Bakula had starred in. So I love that, like I said, sci-fi takes care of its own. And so many of people we recognize from franchise to franchise, whether it be in front of the camera or behind the scenes. Oh, wow. I did not know that. I had no idea about the Quantum Leap connection or who the composer was. So thank you. I thought the music in this episode was particularly strong. Really good. Yes. What about you? What's your trivia this time, Melanie? Well, like you last time, I have two of them. (laughs) (laughs) So I'll make the first one quick here. Watching this episode again and seeing Echo 1 and Echo 2 deployed. Mm Mm-hmm made me realize that in this century, they have subspace amplifiers and subspace transmitters come later in the franchise. So I stand corrected and we have adjusted the intro to our podcast where we're going to deploy our subspace amplifiers from now on. My trivia is a quote from the writer, Andre Bormanis, who said, 
The choice to never reveal the motives of the aliens was a bit of the risk. However, he felt that the episode's unexplained depiction of extraterrestrial life was realistic, later commenting, I think our earliest encounters with alien life forms will leave us utterly baffled. And I really liked to hear that perspective that he had about that choice to leave it as mysterious as it was. And it reminded me of something I heard about the Voyage Home movie, Star Trek IV. I'm not sure if it was Leonard Nimoy or someone else who was quoted as saying that they fought really hard to keep the message from the probe to the whales unknown, that they purposely decided not to translate or let us know what the probe was saying to the whales to make it more mysterious, to make it more thought-provoking, to make it more open-ended. And I think that's what Andre Bormanis is hinting at here. And I thought that was neat. That is neat. And I appreciate intentional mystery. I mean, it goes right along with the entire feel of this episode. And you know what? It makes you think about it afterwards for longer because you can take any one of those branching paths to end it the way that you think it should end or fill in the blanks the way that you want it to be. And that's half the fun. Transfer of data is complete. Well, it's time for our Vulcan's verdict. On a scale of one to 10 grapplers, how are you rating this one? Well, uh, this one made me struggle and I went back and forth and After we talked, I even thought about changing it again, and I really wish we had half grapplers at this point. But to me, this one just feels okay. I appreciate certain parts of it. Other parts of it are kind of meh. As I said, a few characters just feel off. It's fine, and it's a little bit better than fine, but it kind of feels like when TV seasons were long like this was, this was one of those mid-season slump episodes where There was nothing awful about it, but it was never going to make anybody's top five list of the season. So this one got six of ten grapplers for me. Okay. Yeah, this was a tough one for me, too. And I agree, a half grappler would have been very helpful. And perhaps we might have those in the future. (laughs) Because I was going back and forth on this one as well. I think with the A story, there's a lot of strengths here. The aliens, the mystery, the relationships that we talked about, the intrigue, the fear. There was some really good stuff here. With the B story, the inconsistency of tone, the shift between the really serious and the comedic, which just didn't pair well for me, and the slight characterizations that were off that we talked about. Those things did weaken the story for me. So I ended up giving it six out of 10 grapplers as well. My chronometer is running backwards, sir. Incoming transmission. You read my letter. Now it's time for Daniels to send us back in the timeline so we can hear some of your picks and thoughts. Abby, what do you have for us tonight? All right, I've got two. One of them was from the episode Civilization, and it's Matthew Parsons at MaddiePA81 on Twitter. And he says, this episode feels like a different show to me in comparison to the rest of the series. I get a very Stargate SG-1 vibe from it. I feel it's the medieval setting mashed up with the future tech. And also, I think the actor who played the villain might have played a villain in Stargate. Well, I can tell you, SG-1 fan over here, and I agree, they were on similar tones. 
I totally loved reading what Matthew wrote because I completely agree. I'm a new SG-1 watcher. I'm on season five and I highly recommend it to anyone who hasn't seen it. So what he said about civilization really hit home for me. I could see that connection. I could totally picture a Stargate episode with those medieval costumes. Yeah. Because there, there is a lot of that. So that was a that was a cool observation. All right. And our second Daniel's moment of the night is from the episode Fortunate Son. And it's from our listener Wayne Frazier at Wayne Fraser. That's F-R-A-S-E-R on Twitter. And he said, while I agree that the first officer needed counseling and some time away, We know these cargo journeys last months or even years. There is no way for someone on one of those ships to get away, and the Enterprise isn't going to take him back to Earth. And you know, Wayne, I spent a lot of time thinking about the boomers after this episode and then this comment. And, you know, what I come down to is, yeah, there wasn't a pretty way to wrap this one up. You're completely right. And I kind of like that Enterprise leaves you with some of those those gray moments. There is no black and white choice for this. Let's just pick one and hope we can make the best of it. So thank you for making me think even more, Wayne. Yeah, I really appreciated Wayne's comment very much as well. That was a really good point of how would we logistically help this first officer? I think the whole situation around Fortunate Son was just really tough overall. So I get where he's coming from. And if you want to continue the discussion with us or share any of your picks or thoughts, you could reach us at First Flight Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Abby, how about you? Where are you best reached? Best to find me on Twitter, and that's Abby M. Summer, S-O-M-M-E-R. And you can find me on Twitter at ShuttlePod2, that's ShuttlePod T-W-O. We want to thank you for spending this time with us. We'll be back next time with Dear Doctor, the 12th episode of Season 1. And as always, we leave you with this quote from Captain Jonathan Archer. The most profound discoveries are not necessarily beyond that next star. They're within us, woven into the threads that bind us all of us, to each other.